Welcome back to our verse-by-verse study of the book of 1 Samuel. Today we're continuing in 1 Samuel 14 in a passage that gives us the opportunity to really think about our words, how we use them and how they affect other people. And I know one of the most common prayer requests I think I've heard in this season that we've been in is, would you pray for me and my spouse? Would you just pray for me and my family? We're around each other all the time and we can't get out and blow off steam and there's so many other stressful things going on in the world around us that sometimes I'm saying things I don't mean to say or I'm saying them the way I I don't mean to say them And there's just a little bit of added tension that can start to leak out through our words. Or maybe for you, you're feeling this in the workplace, that in one sense, we're very blessed to have things like video conferencing so we can keep communicating, keep working on stuff during this time. But it can also add some different layers where some of the communication isn't as clear or the responses we're getting that we hoped for aren't quite what we expected. And maybe you're feeling that frustration and there's just this moment where we have to decide What kind of words am I going to use next to get the response that I'm hoping for from the people around me? In fact, I think the question that it raises for us is the same question that it raised for Saul and Jonathan. Do I speak in curses or encouragement? You'll see the difference between the two of them here. And and I think that this passage is one that can be a little bit tricky to figure out how I apply it to myself at first because it sounds like a bunch of stuff happens and then we just move on. And so I thought it might be a helpful place to come back to this Bible study tool that we actually learned together when we were doing our verse-by-verse study of the book of Luke. That you can use this word, PACER, as an acronym to help you look for things in a passage that you might be able to apply in your own life. Are there promises to claim? Are there attitudes that I need to change? Are there commands here to obey? Maybe examples to follow or even rebellion to repent of in my own heart, to turn away from. And so we'll watch for a couple of those as we go through this because I think that will be helpful. So let's get into the passage because this is what it says. Starting in verse 24 of chapter 14. And the men of Israel were distressed that day for Saul had placed the people under oath saying, cursed is the man who eats any food until evening before I have taken vengeance on my enemies. So, none of the people tasted food. You notice right away, we're going to see a contrast between Saul and his son, Jonathan. But already we actually see a contrast between Saul and himself a couple chapters ago. Remember chapter 11, Saul won a very meaningful victory. And then some of the people around him said, You know, not everybody supported you. We should kill the people that didn't support you. And in that moment, his response was, no one will die today because God has won this victory. Look how different it is now. Instead of no one will die because this was God's victory, he's cursing them. He's actually going to put a death penalty on this if any of them eat, he says, before I take vengeance on my enemies. He has shifted from giving God glory for God's purpose to cursing others for his own purpose. In an attempt, he thinks to motivate them to fight this battle well and to help him defeat his enemies. It goes on to say, now all the people of the land came to a forest and there was honey on the ground. And when the people had come into the woods, there was the honey dripping. But no one put his hand to his mouth 
for the people feared the oath. So the words of cursing that Saul uses, his, his curse words, have them distressed and fearful. It says, but Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with this oath. Therefore, he stretched out the end of the rod that was in his hand, dipped it in a honeycomb, and put his hand to his mouth, and his countenance brightened. Literally, it's like it means his face lit up. He was re-energized by getting this taste of honey after battling all day without food. Then one of the people said, your father strictly charged the people with an oath, saying, cursed is the man who eats this day. And the people were faint. Now that brings us to what I think is our key verse today. This is where we see the contrast most clearly. But Jonathan said, my father has troubled the land. Look now how my countenance has brightened because I tasted a little of this honey. How much better if the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies which they found. For now would there not have been a much greater slaughter among the Philistines? You see, what Jonathan is saying is, with his words of cursing, my father has brought fear, he's brought distress, he has troubled people because he's choosing to use curses, fear, and threats to motivate. But Jonathan says, wouldn't it have been better? Wouldn't we actually have had an even greater victory if Saul had allowed them to be strengthened, to be refreshed? And so we see the difference between the cursing words that are in Saul's mouth and something sweet that is in Jonathan's mouth. In fact, I think this gives us our first example to follow, that we can be like Jonathan here. You know, maybe not to follow Saul's example, but to take after Jonathan and replace words that curse with something sweet. Replace words that curse with something sweet sweet. See, because what Jonathan found was not only sweet to him, but he wanted to share it with others, and he believed that would actually make them more successful, that they would have greater victory than if they followed Saul with his cursing words, that there would be a greater effect of the desired outcome if he offered them something sweet instead. Now, where this began to unlock for me, it's easy to see that Saul's words are not helpful, that you know, cursing and threatening and all that kind of stuff but hidden in Jonathan's words is a metaphor that the Bible picks up on that not only is Jonathan speaking kindly because he would have offered them food, but honey itself actually becomes a metaphor throughout the Bible for encouraging words. In fact, one of those examples comes out of Proverbs 16:24, which says, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. It connects this idea of kind words, encouraging words, something sweet that comes out of the mouth is like something sweet that goes into the mouth. I think that is part of what Jonathan and the writer of 1 Samuel are picking up on here. And I actually remember uh, back in the day when I still played basketball in high school, every day we had a game or a tournament. Coach, and we spent a lot of time at Coach's house because one of my best buddies was his son. So we'd often be there before games. And before every game, before every tournament, he would give us a big chunk of honeycomb. 
And he said that the reason was that honeycomb gives you the best energy. It's better than any energy drink. It's better than Gatorade because it's so natural and it's just like the perfect kind of sugar for your body to metabolize. So we're going to eat this honey and we're going to go win today. And I tell you what, we bought it. (laughs) And it was true. I mean, there really is something true about that. The way that honey can just refresh you. It can give you that kind of energy. I thought it was fun to eat it, you know, chewing it up and spitting out the wax. But as I look back on it, I realized that honeycomb, that literal honeycomb, wasn't really the best thing about those basketball games. Because he never gave us the honeycomb without also giving us encouraging words. Telling us, we've practiced for this. We've scouted that team. You know how to play them and you're gonna do great. I've seen you in practice. You're getting better. Take that shot when you're open. Don't be afraid of missing it. It always came with an encouragement And I always knew that however the game went, coach still believed in us. He was still gonna be our friend. He was still gonna encourage us for the next game. You see, what this makes me realize is it's it's not only an issue of our speech, but there's also an issue of leadership here. You see, Saul is using positional-based leadership. Now, God gave him this position, so it's not that the position in itself is a problem, but within that, he is choosing fear-based motivation. We've seen how fear has been a problem in Saul's life already. And in this moment, he is choosing to say, because I'm the king, you fight for me the way I say, or you die. And he gets a certain amount of results. It says that the people were fighting all day. It looks like they had the Philistines on the run. But Jonathan shows up with a different style of leadership. He doesn't have the position that Saul has, but he does have the relationship We saw the victory that Jonathan won because of his trust in God last week. And today he's expressing that he thinks the people's victory, you guys can do it, you can be great, we could win this. How much more successful might we have been if instead of fear-based, only positional, cursed leadership, they had been able to have encouragement from Jonathan, sustenance from Jonathan, literally that they could just eat before fighting this battle. It's interesting because we see even in the book of 1 Samuel, there are examples when people don't eat because it helps them focus on God. Back, all the way back in chapter seven, when the people repented, they came to Samuel and he led them in fasting and prayer. And that can be very meaningful. In fact, even during this season of the pandemic, I know many of my friends, leaders, Christ followers who are fasting and praying that God would use this time to bring repentance in us and in the world around us. But that is not what Saul had called the people to. His was personal, self-focused, and came with his own threats. He had a chance to lead in a way that could have increased cooperation, but he didn't take that chance. In fact, it says as these verses go on, what happens Verse 31, now they had driven back the Philistines that day from Michmash to Aijalon. So the people were very faint. The idea here is they've been fighting for a long time and over a long distance. And the people rushed on the spoil because now Jonathan said they could eat and took sheep, oxen and calves and slaughtered them on the ground. And the people ate them, it says, with the blood. The idea seems to be they actually ate it raw because they were so famished, not only from not eating all day, but from fighting and traveling all day on top of it. Then somebody snitched. They told Saul saying, look, 
the people are sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. Now, whoever's reporting this to him actually has this right. Instead of just saying they're breaking your oath, Saul, he says they're sinning against the Lord by eating with the blood. Now, that was actually true because back in Deuteronomy 12, God gave very clear instructions about how they were to eat this kind of meat. He said, only be sure that you do not eat the blood for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it. You shall pour it on the earth like water. You shall not eat it that it may go well with you and your children after you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Now there are absolutely times where God describes disobedience and the consequences that come from it. But do you notice in this verse that what he asks them for is obedience and tells them how good it's gonna be if they do. Once again, God himself speaking in terms of kindness, that there is something that God needs to happen. There is an obedience that he wants to see, but that he follows it with the blessing that he wants to come from that. That it is so it will go well, not only with them, but also with their children. So Saul said, you have dealt treacherously. Roll a large stone to me this day. So he's upset about the fact that they're eating and the fact that they've done this against God. Now I've, I've been to this part of Israel and it's amazing how rocky it is. So a large stone would not be hard to find. It would just be hard to move. But Saul's trying to do something to reset this circumstance. So Saul said, disperse yourselves among the people and say to them, bring me here, every man's ox and every man's sheep, slaughter them here and eat. And do not sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. You see, what's happened is the people were so intent on obeying Saul that it sets them up to disobey God. Now, absolutely, the people, the people are still responsible for this. Just like Saul in chapter 13 couldn't make excuses or blame someone else for his mistake, the people can't say, well, it's not our fault. Saul made us do it. Like, they still chose to eat it with the blood. There's still a problem here for them. But part of what I think we have to notice is that because of the way that Saul used his words, he's actually negatively impacting the people around him. He's actually setting them up for an easier path to failure. And so the second thing that as we think about our words is not to go against God's word when trying to please people. So if we're replacing our cursing words with sweet words, part of that actually comes from God's word. That we don't go against God's word when we're trying to please people because that's what happened with them. They were so afraid of the king that, that this was not a fast for them to help focus on God again. They're not even thinking about Jonathan, let alone God. All they could think about was Saul and his curse. See, that is the danger of Saul's style of leadership. You know, not only is he fearful, but he tries to use fear to motivate other people as well. In fact, in some ways, this isn't that different from what Jesus experienced with the Pharisees in the New Testament. That there is a standard that God had, but Saul is trying to add his own standard to it. That there was a, a standard that God had, 
And in the New Testament, part of why Jesus comes so strongly against the religious leaders is that they had added all this man-made stuff that helped them feel like they were you know, high and mighty and righteous and holier than thou and all those other pieces and added that burden to the people. And so what ended up happening, and I think it can happen to us too, is when we become too focused on pleasing people, we quickly realize we can't do it. In part because the standard may be arbitrary like it is for Saul here. In part because we realize I don't control other people. I can do everything humanly possible, I think, to make you happy, to please you, to set you up for success, to show you that you know, I'm a great husband, I'm a great dad, I'm a great boss, I'm a great coworker. It still doesn't guarantee that you're gonna be happy or like me and sometimes what happens is we end up throwing out the false man-made standard like Saul's curse about eating, but we throw out God's word with it. You could see how the people could have actually blamed God this day, not justifiably so, but that they might try to say, well, God shouldn't hold us to this. It's Saul's fault. Well, Saul shouldn't hold us to this. This isn't even part of God. And the confusion that can come in. The danger when we try to please people is that it, it in some ways may provoke greater rebellion And if not, it provokes greater self-righteousness that I think, well, at least I didn't eat with the blood. (laughs) I would never have taken the honey like Jonathan did, right? There's just so many ways that what begins with a, a curse, a threat, a negative word can cause pain not only for that person, but for others around them. So think about this maybe for yourself. I mean, I think about this for myself. How am I using my words? Whose standard am I holding people to? Are there places where it's easy for me, you know, at home or in the workplace to have a disproportionate level of expectations or consequences tied to them? Like, I want things to be this way at this time, all the time. And if you don't like it, you can leave. And then my kids are like, dad, I live here. But we've seen that, right? I mean, we've probably all experienced that at some time or another, either in ourselves or from a boss or somebody around us, where it feels like these two things don't match up. That Saul's gonna say, nobody should eat today because if, if you do, you're gonna die. That, it seems like overkill, that there's something to scale back there. And I think if we look to God's word, we find that not only is honey a metaphor for words of encouragement, it actually becomes a metaphor for God's word itself. In fact, I know that we've mentioned this a few times over the last few weeks. Um, And maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but I'm surprised how much fun I'm having in this pathway to prayer. And yes, you can get it as a PDF on the website. Yes, we can still send you a hard copy if you want to go through it. But as I was working through this in a study with some uh, guys that I'm in a group in, we hit exactly this thing in section four because it talks about Psalm 119 and says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. In fact, Psalm 119 is the longest Psalm and the entire thing is a love letter to God's word because of how it lights my path so that I have room to run and how every word of it is so encouraging, so empowering, so sweet that if words of encouragement are sweet like honey, God's word is even 
sweeter than honey. Saul could have employed that, but watch what happens next. So he's called them to bring all their animals here. We're gonna eat them without the blood. So every one of the people brought his ox with him that night and slaughtered it there. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. Now Saul said, let us go down after the Philistines by night and plunder them until morning light. All right, you're all fed, forget rest, let's keep fighting and let us not leave a man of them. And they said, do whatever seems good to you, which feels like something we shouldn't say to Saul anymore, but they do. Then the priest said, and notice this is not Samuel. There seems to be some other priest with him based on the beginning of chapter 14. It's probably a descendant of Eli. Then the priest said, let us draw near to God here So Saul asked counsel of God, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you deliver them into the hand of Israel? But he did not answer him that day. And Saul said, come over here, all you chiefs of the people, and know and see what this sin was today. For as the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be in Jonathan, my son, he shall surely die. Now, did you catch what just happened here? This is a moment where, where Saul says, let's ask God if we should keep fighting. But from what we've seen of Saul in this chapter, in this moment, Saul is already out of line. And so it seems that, that God is not answering him because Saul is not responding to God's will right now. So Saul gets angry. Because if God's not answering us, somebody must have sinned. And never mind his own cursing, his own threats, the burden that he put on the people unfairly with unjust consequence. I'm sure it's it's somebody else. In fact, he's so sure, he's so confident, he actually doubles down on this thing by saying, even if the sinner is Jonathan, my son, he shall die. Now you and I can see what's coming. All Saul's thinking is who has sinned against my curse? Who broke my curse? This is where I think we see rebellion to repent. This is a moment that Saul could have realized God's not answering me. Have I missed something? Is there something I'm not thinking about? Something God needs to work on in me because I'm not hearing him clearly right now. Instead, he doubles down on his curse. What he could have done What we can do, admit when you said something wrong. Oh man, that is so much easier to put on this screen than it is to do in real life. Sometimes this is the most challenging thing. When you walk away from a dispute with a boss or an employee, you know, an argument with your spouse or a family member, even a friend, I don't know about you, but when I walk away from that, I'm thinking, even if I'm praying, Lord, help them realize what they did wrong. Lord, they did this and they did that and I'm upset because they're doing this and they're doing that. And whenever I pray that way, you know, (laughs) um, it's, it's sort of like funny, but not funny. It's like I hear God saying, well, let's talk about you. I I know about me, Lord, we'll get there, but I want to talk about them first. And he says, let me deal with them because maybe you're right maybe they did something maybe they didn't but let's talk about your heart Drew 
can you let him talk to you about your heart first? I think that one of the greatest things that holds a marriage together is when two people are willing to walk away from any moment, talk to God about their heart first, and you end up discovering that you're almost in a race back to be the first to apologize because God helps you uncover what it is that you might have said wrong, a wrong word, a wrong tone. Can we admit? Can we repent of that rebellion in us that says, I'm always right, it must be someone else, and admit when you said something wrong. Admit when we've been using cursing words instead of saying something sweet. But Saul decides to triple down. Look again in verse 39, but not a man among all the people answered him. Then he said to all Israel, you be on one side and my son Jonathan and I will be on the other side. And the people said to Saul, do what seems good to you. Therefore Saul said to the Lord God of Israel, give a perfect lot. So Saul and Jonathan were taken, but the people escaped. Essentially, he's saying, then let's ask God to show us by drawing straws who did this, and Jonathan and Saul get the short straw. Then it says, and Saul said, cast lots between my son Jonathan and me. So Jonathan was taken. Then Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done. Now, there's a bit of a strange moment happening here because God doesn't answer Saul when he prays with the priest. Then Saul demands this perfect lot and it seems that God uses that but not the way Saul expects. And there are times that we see in scripture how God will use this lot, we're not exactly sure how they did it, to help direct people to his will. I don't think that that's necessarily an example for us to follow. Like, I'm gonna roll the dice, God. If I get snake eyes, I'll sell my house, (laughs) right? But in this moment, I think that God chose the lot not to show Saul who sinned the way that Saul thought, but to try to point Saul to realize how foolish the oath was because it really is Jonathan, his son, who hadn't actually done anything wrong. So Saul said to Jonathan, tell me what you have done And Jonathan told him and said, I only tasted a little honey with the end of the rod that was in my hand. So now I must die? Here it is. Another moment for Saul to repent, for Saul to admit the mistake, to pull back, to confess. But you continue to see the pattern in Saul's life is to dig deeper into his mistakes. Let us not dig deeper into our mistakes. Saul answered, God do so, and more also, for you shall surely die, Jonathan. But the people said to Saul, shall Jonathan die? Like even they have finally had enough. Shall Jonathan die who has accomplished this great deliverance in Israel? Certainly not, as the Lord lives Not one hair of his head shall fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. They're remembering the victory we saw last week in the first half of the chapter where Jonathan's faith in God came through in the battle. So the people rescued Jonathan and he did not die. Now this moment just kind of trails off for Saul. 
I think this is, in some ways it is so strange because the rest of this chapter, there's no resolution, there's no admission, there's no apology, there's no, there's nothing. Saul just leaves it at that moment with no reconciliation with his own son. In fact, the rest of this chapter describes some of Saul's military conquests. I think partly pointing out that even though Saul is off track, God is still accomplishing his purpose. And then it lists a bunch of Saul's relationships. And I think part of it is because 1 Samuel wants us to know that these are real people in real events reacting in real time. That This is not a myth. This is not a setup between like a caricature of good and a caricature of evil. This is a real man. And I think that's part of why it includes some of this detail that Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines and the Philistines went to their own place. So Saul established his sovereignty over Israel and fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, against the people of Ammon, against Edom, against the kings of Zobah and against the Philistines. Wherever he turned, he harassed them. So he's harassing the enemy and his own people. And he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered them. The sons of Saul were Jonathan, Jeshui, and Malkishua. This is a real man at a real point in history dealing with real things around him and a real response. And you can track it back. We've got his lineage. We've got his records. We know his kingship. For Samuel is marking that this is real in a moment in time. And the names of his two daughters were these. The name of the firstborn, Mirab. The name of the younger, Michal. Remember her name. We're going to see her again. The name of Saul's wife was Ahinoam, the daughter of Ahimaaz. And the name of the commander of his army was Abner, the son of Ner, Saul's uncle. Kish was the father of Saul, and Ner, the father of Abner, was the son of Abiel. Now, there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. Just like God said he would back in chapter 8 when they asked for a king. Now, did you notice what is conspicuously absent from all of Saul's battles, conquests, and relationships? No mention of God. No mention of trust in God. No mention of reconciling any of these relationships or reconciling his relationship with God. It's another moment where we see that Saul marches on with Saul's plan the way Saul wants to that he was unable to admit the mistake. He was unable to replace those cursing words with the kind of sweet words and encouragement that Jonathan was offering. So let's come back to our example to follow. Because now we've got this this whole story. We've talked about honey. We've talked about how sweet our words can be, how sweet God's word can be. And so here's one of the ways that I would encourage you, maybe as a a key takeaway for you today. Did you notice that when Jonathan got the honey, it said his countenance was brightened. He wanted to offer that honey, that sweetness, to brighten the countenance of others. And when we see the way that that becomes a metaphor for encouraging words and even encouraging people with God's word, I wonder, whose countenance Could you brighten today, this week? 
I think many of us have been looking at this season of life and saying, hey, I, I can handle anything for like a couple of weeks. And then a couple of weeks becomes a month. Well, I, I, you know, you just got to grin and bear it. And, and a month becomes a couple of months. And even now, as we're beginning to see things reopen and figuring out what, what does the new normal look like, I think one of the things that I have loved most during this season is how much one-to-one encouragement I have seen happening right here in the Horizon community. That I hear stories of it. You know, I, I call someone to encourage them and I find out how many other people have already called them to check in. And I love that. I think that is a like Jesus love kind of thing. And so maybe in, in the midst of this season, it's your spouse, it's your children. What about people you work with? Could you intentionally speak something sweet to them, some word of encouragement to lift them up and brighten their countenance. But I would also ask you, just, just as a friend at Horizon, is there somebody that like normally you would bump into them out in the hallway on a weekend, but because we haven't been here on a weekend for so long, you haven't bumped into them and well, maybe you could call them up, shoot them a text, send an email with something that, that God has used to encourage you or to find out how you could pray for them. I think when we care for each other that way, I think that's the kind of thing Jonathan was trying to do for the army. And I think it's exactly what Jesus describes when he says that people will know we're his followers by the way that we love one another. And I can just tell you that, that hopefully soon, um, we have been as a team and as leaders talking about what does it look like to reopen our building to start to have live services again. And so you'll hear more about that in the coming days. Um, But let me just say, even as we hope to see you soon, don't wait till we see you to speak a word of encouragement, to brighten somebody's countenance. Can I just pray for us that way today? And maybe ask God to encourage you too. Our Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for your word. I know how the words that challenge me and the words that remind me of, of who I am in you can bring such life to my spirit, such life to my bones, Lord, that, that for us it has emotional and physical and spiritual elements to it. And so God, I just pray that you would even speak to us in these moments through your word, through First Samuel, through the Psalms, when we pray that you would brighten our countenance and that we would be able to pass that on to others. Lord, that even right now, if there's a name that has come on somebody's heart, that they wouldn't let that slip away but they, they might even just talk to you about how to reach out to that person and encourage them in this moment and in this time for your glory. And we will do that all with thanks by your spirit in Jesus Christ. Amen.